every word of God is pure, and all Scripture has been given by inspiration of God's Holy Spirit for our instruction in righteousness. That portion which forms the basis for our meditation this day is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and then again verses 11 through 16. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then again, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by er what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So far, text. Dear fellow redeemed, in Christ Jesus, the head of the Holy Christian Church, grace and peace be unto you. We're going to be using that phrase, Christian Church, throughout our sermon study this morning. Let's take a moment to define it. Christian Church can have a couple, two meanings. One, the phrase Christian Church can be a reference to the Holy Christian Church, which we confessed a few moments ago as part of the third article of the Apostolic Creed. I believe in the Holy Christian Church. One reason we say I believe in the Holy Christian Church is because it's an invisible group. It's not seen to the human eye. The Holy Christian Church consists of all, all who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior in their heart. And the, the faith in the heart is known only to God himself. But that Christian church, there's only one. That Christian church is made up of all believers and only believers. But we also use the word Christian church to refer to another type, and that's the type that you're sitting in right now. A Christian church which is visible, and it's also a gathering of Christians. A Christian church, then, of which visible ones, there are many, many, many Christian churches. And a Christian church can be divided, such Christian churches can be divided into two groups, a true teaching Christian church and a Christian church which has true teaching but also has mixed in false teaching. We'll have a chance to talk about that a little bit later on. And in such Christian churches, the visible church, there can also be hypocrites, people who are pretending to be Christians and they fool us, but they do not fool God. And so while they can be a member of this particular Christian church, they're not a member of the Holy Christian Church. And likewise, it's important for everyone who's a member here, and for those who are uh, participating with us uh, through the camera, 
It's important for every one of us to look at our own Christian faith and make sure that we're not taking comfort in, I've got my name on the church books. And I've got my name on the church books in what I think is a good church. But that we take great care and pain to make sure that we're members of Christ's holy Christian church. May the Spirit bless our study of the Word as we take a look at see how the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to create the oneness of the Holy Christian Church. We're beginning at verse 3 of our text. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We mentioned there is one and only one Holy Christian Church. And here we're reminded of the unity which the Spirit has created. More details on that unity are given in the verses which follow. And if you look at these three verses, four, five, and six, you'll see three sets of three. One verse referring to the work of God, the Holy Spirit, and three aspects of his work. One referring to God the Son and three aspects of his work. And one referring to God the Father and three aspects of his work. The first verse, verse four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One body, one Christian church, there is one spirit. The translators here have chosen to capitalize this with a capital S, and it could be a reference to there's only one Holy Spirit, that's true. Or it also could be a reference to the fact that there is one spirit that is in all the people that are members of the church. They all have one attitude, and there is just one hope of our calling. One hope that we have of forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5 of our text, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. A verse which deals with Jesus, one Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one in the history of the world born without sin. There's only one Lord in the history of the world who lived without sin. There's only one Lord who went to the cross to die for all sinners. There's only one Lord who has conquered death and gives to his followers the gift of eternal life. One Lord, one faith, one body of doctrine, which is true, one body of doctrine set forth in the scriptures, one Christian faith, and one baptism. One baptism for the remission of sins. Now here is a good reminder that earlier when we spoke about uh, there can be Christians in believers in other Christian churches, we have to exercise caution. We don't say that there's believers in every single church because not every church out there is Christian. Here we're reminded there's only one Lord Jesus, one Christian faith, and one baptism. The verse dealing with God the Father, verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. One God, one God, one, one God the Father. And here you have a little bit of shift in the triad, in the three, and it talks about this Father of all, and then specifies above all, through all, and in you all. The fact about God's God the Father's omnipresence, and the fact that he is pleased to take up residence in the heart of God's children, through all and in you all. So here you see the unity which the Holy Spirit creates. He creates this by the word of God. How did you get included? How did you become a member of this particular organization? A good reminder, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. There is a hint 
in the first part of that verse of how you got to be a member, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul talking about being in prison for preaching the gospel. You know, it wasn't always that way with Paul, was it? There was a time in Paul's life when he went by the name of Saul when he would be taking, he'd be standing out, excuse me, he'd be coming outside our church doors here, writing down your names and getting ready to arrest you and haul you off to jail later this week and even put you to death unless you deny Jesus Christ. So he was not always a prisoner of the Lord. He was born an enemy of the Lord and spent great time and zeal persecuting Jesus Christ and his followers. So how can Paul write, I am now the prisoner of the Lord? Well, you know the account. You can read it again in Acts chapter 9 of how it was that Paul went from enemy of Christ to follower of Christ. It came about how? Well, it wasn't in Paul's heart or mind. Not even a spark was there. He was on on another journey, yet another journey, to find and hunt down Christians when Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus, when Jesus turned him around, when Jesus created faith in his heart and took him from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. And so there's your hint. How did you get to be included in the Holy Christian Church? Well, you and I started out just like Paul, born enemies of God. You and I would have gone down exactly the same path Paul was going down, hating Christ, not wanting anything to do with his name, except, oh, except walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Except we were called, many of us called first through the sacrament of baptism, and the Holy Spirit coming to us and bringing to us faith, implanting faith in our hearts. You were called, chosen by God. Again, as if it was, it's so important, it needs repeating. Verse 4, you were called in one hope of your calling. Almost exactly the same terminology repeated that we might, might be underscored. I'm part of the unity of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has made me part of that unity because he has called me by the gospel and enlightened me with his gifts. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. How clear it is that we've become in the holy Christian church because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And he does his work through the word of God. In Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. First Peter, having begotten again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God to create the oneness of the Holy Christian Church. And in that creating of the oneness, he's brought us into it. But not only does the Holy Spirit use the word of God to create that Holy Christian Church, he uses it to preserve it because the Holy Christian Church is under attack from, within, from without and from within. Verse 11. And he himself, that's a reference to Jesus. And in the verses between 7 and 11, you have a summary of the work of Jesus descending from heaven, his life here, returning triumphantly to heaven, leading captivity captive, and giving gifts. And here come some of the gifts he gives. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Say a good reminder. 
as we look ahead to the shortage of pastors and teachers in the CLC, I'd be reminded to thank God, one, that our classrooms and pulpits are filled. That's not true of a lot of our sister congregations in our fellowship. And it should inspire us, part two, to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Send forth more laborers into harvest. That's the Savior's responsibility, to send out apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We could lump all these five offices, all these five categories, into one short summary. Jesus sends out people to teach the Bible. He sends out people to teach the Word of God. And he does that, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He sends teachers, pastors, professors to equip you, God's saints, for your work in the ministry so that you can go out and share the Word of God with others. And as we preach the Word and as you share the Word, the Holy Spirit goes to work. He goes to work to help till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All this word of God is going out in order to be able to continue the preaching of the gospel, which is the Holy Spirit uses to bring in other people to the Holy Christian Church. I like to think of verse 13 as, maybe you've seen those cartoons where you have a large head and a small body. We, the Holy Christian Church has a large head. It's Jesus Christ, a perfect head. But the body is still growing to get matched up to that size head. And finally, when the last Christian is brought to faith, and that time is drawing near, when that last Christian is brought to faith and that body is completely measured up to, this, to the head, Jesus Christ, the end of the world arrives. Here is the work of the Holy Spirit. And sending it, here's the work of Jesus in sending out the work, word which the Holy Spirit will use, sending it out through preachers and teachers of the word, sending it out to Christians to share with others. We have a chance coming up starting tomorrow with the campus of Emmanuel, with the Vacation Bible School, an opportunity to send out the word of God to young souls. Two weeks from now, we have a, what we're trying is an experimental outreach project, a one-day VBS at Riverview Park. We need some help from the congregation and people to speak the word of God. We need help in sending out flyers, because when you send out flyers, then people hear about the Vacation Bible School. Last weekend, we sent out about 2,500 flyers, and we had, before we even got back to church, we had some sign-ups for this week of EBS and the one in, coming up on Saturday. If you have an opportunity to take up some, pick up some flyers and just walk around your neighbor a little bit, who knows what, God's word, what God will do with that word that's going out. But why is this Word of God, ongoing use of the Word of God, so important? Because as we mentioned earlier, the Holy Christian Church is under attack. Severe attack. Verse 14. That we shall no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the tricky of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. As we are in the Christian faith, the Word of God uh, causes us to grow in our faith and grow in our knowledge. You have pictured here, it's a fairly graphic picture of a boat on a sea, and on the sea, this boat has no, no ability to steer itself. It's just subject to whatever happens with the wind, and it's, the, the phrase here, tossed 
uh, <clears throat> excuse me, tossed, carried about with every wind of doctrine, tossed to and fro, has a reference to the waves going up and the waves going down, and you can just see this boat going up and down and going all over the, all over the sea because it has no anchor. God's word is the anchor for us. It keeps us from getting blown all over the place and getting, starting to get goofy ideas and goofy things in our head that maybe it's this way or maybe it's that way. And we live in a world where you can see what happens when you don't have an anchor, when you don't have God's word guiding you. You can't figure out some basic things in life. Where did I come from? Where am I going? Is there anything after death? I don't know about that. Is there such a thing as God? What's the thing? Is, I don't even know if there's a heaven or a hell. And you can see without the anchor of God's word, we would be subject to every single wind of doctrine getting blown all over the place. And you can see what happens in our world today when people can't even figure out what's marriage, what, how do you define marriage? And what happens if you are born of one sex and, and you want to you become a different sex and the world is just so confused and they're like children blowing all over the place. And it's God's word which Jesus sends out through pastors and teachers, which Jesus sends out through Christians, that provides answers to all those questions and anchors us so we're not blown all over the place. But there's another problem out there. There's trickery of men. This is like they just have a whole bunch of tricks up their sleeves. A whole bunch of them. And notice what it says. In cunning craftiness, not, not just craftiness, not just being sneaky, but being evil sneaky and deceitful plotting. They have a whole plan of attack, and they'll offer this, and they'll offer that, and they've got just, just all kinds of traps out there for the child of God. But the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to preserve the Christian church, preserve the Holy Christian church, and to preserve our Christian faith, and so that we're able to spot the tricks. We're able to spot, spot the deceitful plan we're able to spot the lies. We're able to spot the uh, cunning craftiness, the deceitful plotting, and avoid the pitfall. But there's another attack on the Holy Christian Church, and that comes from within. And it's sad to say that I carry within myself, and you carry within yourself, the ability to attack the Holy Christian Church. It's called the sinful flesh. <clears throat> And the Apostle Paul addresses it in verse 2 of our text. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The Apostle Paul knew that the Christians he was addressing had within themselves the ability to blow up their Christian faith. Take a moment to stop off at Galatians, this chapter 5, where it talks about the works of the flesh we're going to avoid some of the phrases that are used, like adultery, fornication, and murder. We're going to read, excuse me, read through the list of 17, dropping out some of them, but of highlighting the ones that pertain to this thing we call church. Look at the number of things that are within my heart that can create problems in our church. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy. Lots of fruit, excuse me, lots of works of the flesh within me that can create problems in our fellowship 
as also with you. And I, if you go back, we spoke about visible Christian churches, and we spoke about true Christ, teaching Christian churches, and also churches that have true and false teachings mixed in. But you want to take a look at those false teachings that are mixed in with some of those Christian churches. Behind almost every single one of those false teachings is going to be one of those works of the flesh that we just read. It's going to be somebody that had an outburst of wrath and created an issue and this tangent off of false teaching. Or somebody that had a selfish ambition and thought, I will gain a following if I teach this. And you can go back and trace much of the false teaching within Christendom to those works of the flesh. And so what, Paul, what does Paul do? Knowing that we, we are such potential candidates for disrupting the unity, Paul says, here's the solution. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bury with one another in love. You have two pairs, lowliness and gentleness. Lowliness we might describe as humility. Well, that seems to be the opposite of some of those works of the flesh, isn't it? Uh, gentleness, another word would be meekness. Outbursts of wrath, meekness. With long-suffering, now you got two that are, the first two are kind of are internal, the next two are external. Long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Not my way, but your way. That's not a work of the flesh. Long-suffering, bearing with one another, being patient, being kind, being loving. Now back up and follow up the works of the flesh which are listed in Galatians 5, and then right immediately following you have this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Three of the things that are mentioned in our text are also mentioned there as fruits of the Spirit. It's a function of the Holy Spirit to enter into my heart, to enter your heart, to overcome the works of the flesh, to cover our sins with the blood of Christ once again, and to create in our hearts to put there His fruits. Lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and thus preserve the unity of the church against the attacks that come from within our own sinful hearts. We've had a chance to highlight a number of the ones that the Holy Spirit creates. One Lord, one faith, one body, one baptism. There is another one, too. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're reading at verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Before us today is another one. One Lord's Supper. I think how precious the Lord's Supper is. We spoke earlier about hypocrisy. Are there hypocrites in our midst? The Lord's Supper is a guide to protect us against that. Because the, the Spirit instructs us, before you go to the Lord's Supper, examine your heart. Take a moment to look at your heart. Do you confess that you're sinful? Do you recognize Jesus as your Savior? That's the sure remedy against hypocrisy. Think about the Lord's Supper. We all come carrying with us our sinful flesh, and here comes the Lord's Supper, saying, Wait, here's the unity that the Spirit's creating. We all believe in our own sinfulness and in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And although we are many, there's one body. 
one Lord's Supper. And what a union this sacrament is for us. It's a union as you come to the altar, as you participate at home, as you participate in the pew, we're participating together, aren't we? And creating or reflecting that unity which the Holy Spirit has created. A couple of verses yet to our text. Verse 7. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And verse 16. From the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying itself in love. These two verses remind us while there is a great unity among us, there's also a great diversity among us. We all have different gifts given to us by God for work in the kingdom. I think of, myself, I think of the building committee that I'm, that I'm a member of. Uh, this building committee has got some great gifts that God has given, and they've been great blessings to steering this project that we have going on. And by the way, after service today, if you'd like to take a tour of the new edition, that'll be available. But I serve on the building committee, and, and my chief function is devotion. We have laymen that are really gifted in certain areas, in different areas, and they bring to the table a combined team effort that makes up your building committee. And that's the way it is here, too, on other scales. We have uh, those that Christ has sent as leaders, preachers of the word, teachers of the word. But where would we be as a called servant? I thank you for the work which you've done for us as called servants in supporting us, in supporting our families, so that we have a, a place to live and a way to take care of our families. That's support that comes from you and your gifts. And the number of hours that are spent by the men and women of the congregation supporting the ministry. Some of them are serving on boards or committees, and, and some are working behind the scenes, setting up communion and cleaning the church. The point is that all of us, every last one here, has been given gifts. And God expects us to use those gifts working together. And you can imagine the picture at the end here Every part of the body needs to work together, and that's good. And if all of a sudden your ankle decides it doesn't want to do its job, well, then you're going to have a problem, aren't you? Likewise, we need all of the members of our congregation using the gifts and talents God has given to you, laboring together in the work of the kingdom. The blessing of the Holy Spirit, and he gives the gift of unity. He creates unity, and he preserves the unity. May that spirit... Make us careful and diligent students of the Word of God, so that through that Word of God, the unity which has been created in us will also be preserved in us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And the peace of God, which does indeed pass all understanding, shall keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus.